This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. Buckle up, everyone. My guest this week is the incredible Jenny Urich. She is a homeschooling mother of five and the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, a global movement designed to reclaim childhood. Along with her husband, Josh, Jenny is a full-time creator and curator of the 1000 Hours Outside Lifestyle brand, which includes a robust online store, an app, books, the whole nine yards. She also hosts the top-rated 1000 Hours Outside weekly podcast, and she is a thought leader in the world of nature-based play and its benefits for kids. Jenny lives with her family in the Ann Arbor area of Michigan. Okay, let me tell you something real quick. Whether you have kids or not, you are going to love this episode. I realize that I say every week that I am excited for this episode and that I, I, I admit that, okay? I fully embrace that, but I am always excited for the episode. However, this is not something I say every week. And when I say that this is probably going to go in my top 10 favorite episodes of all time. Now, remember, we're here in the late 300s. All right. <laughs> so I've been doing this a while. When I say that this is probably going to be one of my top 10 favorite episodes of all time, I'm not kidding. And I think part of it is because we had such a rich conversation around things that I think are honestly going to challenge us, convict us. I was real convicted in a good way after this episode. But what I think it's doing is even though, like I said, if you don't have kids, I still want you to listen to this episode because there is something in it for us. And I think that there is something in it for us adults who have found ourselves in the last few years, the last few decades, we're clinging to our desks. We're, we're at our desks all day long. We're never outside anymore. And there's something to that. There's There really is something to that. And Jenny and I talk a lot about that. We unpack it. Oh, man, this is such a good episode. I also don't really listen back to my episodes very much because, you know, I lived it. And I am for sure going to be listening back to this episode. So without further ado, I'm going to stop rambling. We're going to get on on my chat with Jenny Gurich. Okay, I know today is going to be a lot of fun because we have already just been yammering away. <laughs> um, and I told her when we first got on to, you know, the Zoom that I was just so excited about this because I have been following Jenny's work for quite a while. Um, so Jenny, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Ah! Molly, thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm so excited. Okay, so for for those that don't know you, we're just going to dive right in because I love you and I want everyone else to love you too if they don't already. I'm I'm sure they do because you have like a million bajillion people um, in your, like literally, that's the exact number. (laughs) It's not an exaggeration. It's a million bajillion. (laughs) 
um, people in your, uh, you know, in your sphere um, on Instagram and, and in your community, um, thousand hours outside. Um, so introduce yourself. Give us the Jenny 101. So who you are, what you do mm. and how you got to where you are today. <laughs> Isn't this such a like a overarching question? Yeah. Like I would just be like, hey, I'm a mom. I'm behind on laundry and I don't know what we're cooking for dinner. So that's like, that is you the- know, that's like how you feel about yourself. Right. OK, here's um, the thing is I've done like 300 and I don't even know. This is this will be like 300 a million episode, bajillion interviews, a million bajillion exact number. <laughs> um, Many I've, I've and I've asked that same question. It's just like it's a question I've asked bef- at ev- the start of every interview I've done for 20 years. And it's just kind of like my thing. I don't know where it came from. In any event, uh, I've never had anybody a- answer it honestly like that. And I love it. So I think that might be the best answer ever is, hi, I'm a mom. Um, I am behind on laundry and I don't know what I'm cooking Slightly for overweight. <laughs> I view myself. I think, you know, it's just this bizarre thing. I, I started in 2011, my life changed. Yeah. And I started writing about it in 2013. And that's how I ended up here, you know, in a series of very, very, very small steps. But in 2011, uh, we had three kids under three. Didn't matter, though, that we had three kids. When I had one kid, I just about lost it. Mm. I, I couldn't do it. I was so bad at being a mom. But the problem is I thought I was going to be so good. I like had all these plans. I was like, I'm going to be amazing at this. We are going to do a schedule. And every two hours, we're going to have a different activity, like 8am and 10am. And I mean, like the whole thing, I like had the whole thing planned out. And then our oldest came and I was like, this is a flop. Like, I mean, he's just crying all the time. He's nursing all the time. He's never sleeping. And I was like, what have we done? You know, the best parents are the parents who don't have children. <laughs> yes, yes, I know. Yeah, and I was one of those in my life. So uh, they, they love to give you advice. They you know, they're they're really good at that. Yeah. But, you know, I just I really struggled. And I and I didn't love that, Molly, because I was excited to be a mom. I been looking forward to being a mom. I'd always wanted to be a mom. I like kids. And then it just like was this big old smack in the face that I wasn't expecting. I Mm -hmm. was expecting to be pretty good at it. I was like decently good at other things in my life. (laughs) And so what happened was, is that like every single day I was miserable Mm -hmm. and I was like depressed and down. And it wasn't like baby blues. It was like, I can't believe this is my life. And these days are so long. And, you know, how am I going to survive? My husband had like a normal job, but it was like an hour commute. So that's like a 10 and a half hour day with a, with a baby. That's a really long time. And so we ended up having a couple in a row, just like kind of, I'm not sure why. And all of a sudden, I'm just like dragging these three kids to program after program. And like, you know, and I would be like, okay, I'm going to try and get three kids to the library at at 10 a.m. You know, and it's like, well, everyone's got different clothes and everyone has different size diapers and they're all nursing and they're all crying and they all eat different types of food. And I have to get them all in a car seat and I have to buckle everyone and they all hate the car. So then they start screaming and then you get to the library and you have to open the door and you have to get everybody out in the stroller and the books and the diaper bag and they don't want to be at the library anyway. So they're <laughs> crying during the program and you're trying to get them to stop and they're fighting over the toys. And I'm like, what is this? You know, like this is what American moms do. And then you do it all in reverse, right? And then you get home and it's like 11 a.m. I'm like, I still have eight hours. And I haven't even done lunch. (laughs) It's hard. 
Oh it's so hard. And you've also like given up your life, yeah. you know, in, in many ways, you know, it's a, it's a good give up, but you have given up maybe your career aspirations or you're know, like, this is what I'm doing. I'm just, I just felt like a failure is really mm-hmm. what it was like every day, all day through the night. And I was really struggling as a person. I tell people I wouldn't even drink water because I would think heaven forbid that I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Like, what would I do? What do I do with these three kids? Yes. Well, I had to do it hold them in my lap like I, I, just say, I don't know I don't know yeah what do people do I'm like so I wouldn't so anyway so I'm kind of doing this like miserable existence like I love my kids but just like really struggling at being a mom and we had family that was willing to help it wasn't even that just like the kids were super clingy I'm like why do they like me so much I don't know you know <laughs> Goodness. So this is the life we're living. And then I had a friend at MOPS because that was another program that we did. Moms of Preschoolers where they just changed their name. And I don't know what the new name is, but I still call it MOPS. And she came to MOPS one day and she said, hey, Charlotte Mason says that kids should be outside for four to six hours a day whenever the weather is tolerable. And I was like, come on, that's ridiculous. Who who does that? Who, first of all, who has four to six hours a day? And second of all, what are the kids going to do for four to six hours? I'm like, they won't even play with my homemade Play-Doh. You know, it's like 12 minutes and then it's over. Like nothing lasts for four to six hours. So I'm thinking in my mind that this is ridiculous. And then she's like, well, do you want to try it? And I was like, no, I do not want to try that. I was like, have you been to the library program? This will be like six times longer. Like, no. (laughs) But you know, when you're a young mom, Molly, it's like you're desperate for friends too. This is a whole other piece of it. You know, it's like you've got kids and you can't even finish a conversation and you're like desperate for friendships. So I agreed to go with his one friend in September of 2011. So it's been 12 years to a park from nine in the morning till one in the afternoon. And it was a park with grass. I mean, it was not like there was no play structure, this grass, like a, a little was creek a field. that ran through. Yeah. And there was a creek that ran through. So there, that was whatever. But she's like, okay, well, bring your picnic lunch and your blanket. And I was like, mm, but what else? You know, like, though, I mean, should I bring my water table? I probably should bring like books and some crafts. <laughs> oh, you know, table. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's like, no, you know, you just bring your, your lunch. I was like, oh, this is not going to go good. Like these kids, what are they going to do? But I tell people, Molly, that it was the best day of my life because it was the first good day I had as a mom. Mm. And our oldest was three years old. I had not had a good day yet. And then I had a good day. And what happened was that the kids just played. And I did not know that they could do that. So we spread out our picnic blankets. It's fall in Michigan, which is beautiful. It's a beautiful day. It's the sun and the leaves. And I just sat on this picnic blanket with my baby. And my friend had a baby. And they nursed and slept and sat on the blanket and played in the grass. And they just stayed nearby. And the older kids, which she had two older ones and I had two older ones, they were like, you know, two to four, one to four. They just ran around and they would come and get food and then they would go run around. And I don't even know what they were doing, but I got to have a conversation. I got to kind of catch my breath. It was the first time that I got to just like exhale Mm. and it really changed my life. And so we kind of immediately changed how we were doing early childhood. We had a small group of friends, four families, five families that were willing to use their time that way. And we would pick the most tolerable weather days, two or three a week, 
and we would rotate through parks and we would try and meet up for four to six hours. We just bring food. And I did it really just for myself at the beginning because it changed my whole motherhood experience. And I felt like, well, if I'm a more present mom, then this is going to be a better situation for my family. But I noticed so quickly that our kids were thriving. It was like all of a sudden, you know, they're eating better, sleeping better. They're getting along better. They're not getting sick. We actually haven't needed a doctor's appointment since that day in 2011. We have five kids. So our kids are ages 15 to seven now, but then they were three, you know, one and a baby. And what I started to learn is that when we take our kids outside, especially for extended periods of time, and we don't have to do anything, like you don't have to plan a scavenger hunt and these games, and you don't really have to be involved in, in some ways, it's better if you're not, if you just go to a place that's safe, right, they're not going to run into the road and whatever, they've got some space to roam, that this helps them in every facet of their development. Mm. It helps their cognition. So it's helping them academically. It helps their physical bodies in so many ways beyond just regular movement. It helps their emotional state, ours too. It helps their social skills tremendously. And then for people that are interested, and I know not everybody is interested, but it helps them spiritually too, because God's creation is a display of spiritual laws. So you just get so much for going out there. And so I don't know, that's where it started. A couple years later, I realized that we were not ever running into other kids. I added up how much time we were spending outside because I had read in a Dr. Scott Sampson book called How to Raise a Wild Child, that the average American child was outside for four to seven minutes, but on screens for four to seven hours, Mm. and that they were on screens about 1,200 hours a year. And when I added up our time, it was about equivalent to that. And I just thought, not that we're against screens, but I thought if all that time, all those memories, all that relationship building, all of that connection, all of those moments of exhale, if those had gone to screens, our life would be so much less full. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to write about it. This is about bringing balance back to childhood. It's based off of those numbers, you know, matching virtual life with real life. Can we at least shoot for matching it? And it comes from that Charlotte Mason, who turns out was from the 1800s. I didn't learn that till like years later, or I probably (laughs) would have never paid attention. And then Angela Hanscom is a pediatric occupational therapist who has a book that's phenomenal called Balanced and Barefoot, which is about this, the power of simple outdoor play. And she says that kids of all ages, ideally, would get three hours minimum of outdoor play every single day, including the teens. And so this is what we're doing. This is just like part of our life that for the last decade that we've been writing about it, I've kept track. And we are aiming to be outside every year for a thousand hours. Sometimes we haven't gotten there. We've gotten close and sometimes we've gotten over, but it is the answer to a lot of modern day parenting problems. And it has given us a really full life and Mm. it still works. It's one of those parenting things that works for a toddler as well as it works for a teenager. So that's where we're at. And here I am now. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. And then uh, when this airs, your book will be out or your book will be out and it's called Until the Streetlights Come On, How a Return to Play Brightens Our Present and Prepares Kids for an Uncertain Future. And I love it so much. So I came across and I don't honestly remember who shared your account with me. It was a few years ago. It was during, I want to say it was like right at the 
peak of the pandemic or sometime early on um, where somebody had had shared your account. And I just was like, I love this. And this was, you know, really in a shift for us, too, because, you know, my kids were at the time of the pan when the pandemic hit, my daughter was in kindergarten. My son was in preschool. And, you know, and we were living in a cul-de-sac. And so, you know, we did the whole like our neighbors were a part of our what was it, our bubble. I was just like looking back on this. I just I want to like punch myself in the face. Um, (laughs) Just, you know, our so that's like who we saw. But, you know, they had to like, you know, preschool aged kids actually was a baby and a toddler, really. You know, and and but we lived in a little like not even a quarter of an acre lot in a cul-de-sac in a, you know, cookie cutter neighborhood. And, you know, my my husband and I had always dreamed of living on and owning a farm. And but that really Mm -hmm. I think the the honest truth is, you know, we had been saving for land and we'd been kind of dreaming of and praying of of moving to a farm. Um, But it was always kind of, you know, a decade down the road, a decade down the road. And mm. and then we'd been married for a decade and it was like, oh, OK, well, maybe we should think about this. And, uh, you know, the but the reality is, is it the pandemic accelerated it in that we were just inside. We were inside constantly and everybody was inside. And yes, like we'd go in the front yard, but it was like our little front yard and our backyard because like the parks were closed. I mean, we couldn't I mean, we couldn't go anywhere. I mean, now that right. I look back, I'm like, really? We closed the parks like really, <laughs> folks, you can get COVID from swinging. Like, can we all just admit that this was stupid ridiculous really in michigan in michigan our governor closed the river they literally closed the river because there's this really cool place near us where you can tube down this river or take a little kayak or whatever and there's these like (laughs) nine little man-made like the army corps of engineers made these little drops in the water yeah so it's like a little water it's like very little but like this little drop and you like ride it down then you keep going down the river and she closed that yeah I See, was like, come on. Look at, looking back now, I'm just like, come on. Can we all admit that this was stupid? It was just <laughs> yes. so dumb. Yeah, so, so dumb. And my mom, she's like, I don't even remember it. Um, I was like, I oh, was like, I remember. Well, I do. Oh, yeah. We couldn't go to a park. Like, yeah, they had yeah. literally like caution tape taped around yeah. the parks near us. Like, they were just like, Mm-mm, no. So in any event, like, you know, it, it, it we got to a point where it was like our tiny little backyard was like we could only do so much. And so in any sure. event, we, we, we accelerated our move and we understand that that is like a unique situation. And we had the, the privilege and the, and the financial resources because we'd been saving for a long time to be able to move. And but uh, so we moved to the farm and, and, and in a lot of ways at first I had these dreams and these visions of what it was going to be like. This is me just being real transparent and vulnerable. I was like, we found this place and it has 12 and a half acres and there's a creek running through it and there's woods and there's walking trails and like all this space and 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 we're going to have animals and, and there's barns and places for our kids to explore and blah, 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 blah. And we moved here and it was the same thing. It was like just we it was the same thing we were experiencing at our last house in a cul-de-sac where the kids just wanted to be inside and they just wanted to watch show show and they just wanted to be on their iPad or whatever. And, and I just was like, no, you have 12 and a half acres, like go outside. And then they would go outside for 10 minutes and they'd be like, I'm bored. You know, it just, mm-hmm. and I just was like, how is this? How is this my life? Like, how is this happening? I don't mm-hmm. understand why they won't just go outside. Like when I was a kid, 
You know what I did? It was until the streetlights came on. I went outside <laughs> and I drank from a water hose where the water was boiling lava hot at first and then <laughs> tasted like rust after that. And so, you know what I mean? Like, and I, I made stupid shows and I played hopscotch and I, you know, Ooh. carved my name in fresh cement and, and all those random things. And like, I remember across the street because I lived in a, you know, a neighborhood. And I remember there was like a little, um, like right across the street from my house, there was like an apartment complex. But then in the the lawn, like common area of the apartment complex was the foundation of an old home that had been burned down. And they never like they never picked they Ooh. never cleaned up the foundation. So it was just like essentially a like playground. a playground. Right. But it was just a <laughs> slab. But the cool thing about it was like it was you could see like which floor was like the bathroom and which floor was the kitchen and which floor. Cause it was like the whole, it was like you would just yeah. cut a house off from the foundation up. And so yeah. we used to go and play on this slab and pretend it was a real house for hours. And I look back, I'm like, there was nothing there except for like, I could tell that this was bathroom tile. You know what I mean? Wow. In any event. And so like, I would play on that for hours and yeah. I just think about like what happened, how, what, how, what changed from my childhood to my kid's childhood. And, and the reality is, is like, you know, streaming and Netflix and Disney yeah. plus and, and, and iPads and Kindles and things like that. I mean, that just, that didn't exist when yeah. we were kids. And so I, I was, I was frustrated and I was, I was thinking of myself as a bad parent and I was like, how am I, how, how did I get here? And I'm some, I'm somebody who really values unstructured play and I value like a little bit of unconventional parenting. I mean, there's a whole reason yeah. that's why we moved to a farm, like to be a little bit unconventional um, and to can food and bake our own bread and raise, you know, harvest our own meat chickens and turkeys. And it, like, it's, it's a weird life. And I understand that. <laughs> But yet my kids still just wanted to watch Bluey. And I was like, what is going on? I don't understand. <laughs> and anyway, so that's how I came across uh, your work. And so mm -hmm. I think it was two years ago, um, we started the Thousand Hours Outside Challenge. And uh, I, also in full transparency, I uh, was real bad at logging my time. Um, I, that's, sure. that's a thing I've got to get better at. It's the actual logging of the time. But what it did was it got us more conscious about that was the thing was it was it was this intentional move to being outside more and and getting the kids involved and we have had moments and literal seasons since we started where we've done really well and then we've had other times where we have not and um and so uh there's there's a a section in your book or a paragraph in your book I wanted to read because I want to um I think that this speaks to the parent listening who is like this overwhelms me I can't imagine being outside with my kids for four to six hours a day. Like I there's there I can 100 percent picture the, the person that is listening right now or just thinks like, oh, I have failed at this or I sure. have, you know, I've done way too much screen time or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So I can picture any of those people. So um, anyway, it's in uh, I don't even remember what chapter this is. What chapter is it? Uh, I think it is chapter it's chapter four in Bored to Tears, Uncover the Gifts That Boredom Gives. And it says, we don't need an overhaul in the ways we are parenting. We just need slight adjustments. Bring fewer toys. Schedule screen-free time. Have a jar of popsicle sticks labeled with hands-on idea. 
boredom is a scary proposition because we are already at our wits end. We are splintered off from family and from community and bear the brunt of burdens that were meant to be shouldered by many others. The joys were meant to be dispersed as well. A society in which children are sequestered misses out on daily sparks of joy, curiosity and youthful energy. So I want to I love that so much because I love the way you said we don't need an overhaul. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's about micro changes. And you kind of alluded to that a little bit, too, about like how you got here was from just a series of of little changes and little decisions mm-hmm. along the way. So can you unpack that for me? Because and, and for the person, especially like speak specifically to the person listening who is like, I can't do this. I can't do this. <laughs> Maybe they've already turned it off. Like they're just like, you know, you know like, I'm God. I don't even know. Yeah. You hope they're still here, but they may not be. You said some interesting things. First of all, you said you moved and that didn't solve it. Yeah. And I think that that's a big misconception is that the answer is not where you live. Because some people live in apartments in the city and some people live in subdivisions and some people live in the country. And with each of those places, the access to the outdoors looks different. And there are pros and cons. So I've got a brother that lives in Brooklyn, New York, and you can walk to all sorts of playgrounds from his house, but you can't let your kid go run wild, right? Especially a little one. And if you live in a suburb, there's neighbors. Right. And there's other kids, right? Like in your homeschool pod, your bubble, whatever you're doing at home or whatever that is, you know, um, just in your neighborhood. And if you live in the country, you've got space to roam, but there aren't other kids to engage your kids. And so the answer is not that. I think you hit you hit the nail on the head when you said, this is different. Things have changed. And what's changed is that society used to be structured, maybe unknowingly, in a way that preserved childhood. Mm. So the shows ended. And I have distinct memories of the shows ending and being annoyed that the shows ended at noon on Saturday morning or on Sunday there was nothing for kids to watch. I mean, there was a, a whole period of time we didn't have cable. So there was nothing. It was like WWF. I'm like, (laughs) I don't like this. I'm trying to like this, but I just don't. And so you're just screwed. And as a kid, you are forced then to go find something to do. And I think that when you've done that, a lot of times throughout childhood, you learn that you have so much fun in the foundation slab making things up, right? But a lot of kids today have not had those experiences because they haven't ever been forced to for a long period of time dive into play. So we are in a tricky spot because what's happened is the onus for this falls on the shoulders of the parents. Yeah. I mean, this is a really big change. And that's why it's so hard is because there's not kids running around in the neighborhood. And Mike Lanza wrote a book called Playborhood, where he talks about how there's nothing out there to entice the kids. Like, even if you have a cool playset, and even if you have, you know, the trampoline or the latest whatever, the thing that entices kids is other kids and mm. they're not outside. And so we're really in a spot that is, is very hard. It's very, very hard. And so what I say to parents is that this is worth it. Yeah. It's worth your awareness. It's worth your awareness because it enhances your life too. And I used to be annoyed that I think I'm in a roundabout way getting to your question. No, I used I love to be this. annoyed that when I was a kid, We had a neighbor that literally locked her kids outside. Like she had four kids and the door was locked all summer. I I don't even know how they ate. I'm not quite sure. And I don't even know what she did. Like, what is she doing in there? But they were locked out and they roamed the neighborhood and everyone had a lot of fun. And when I became a mom, I was like, I want that. Yeah. (laughs) 
I want to be able to lock them out. What? I don't know. What am I thinking? That's kind of awful. But I was like, well, she, I'm sure she got so much done. Like she's probably able to cook and clean. And like, you know, she's catching her breath that way. The kids are out roaming. And I was kind of jealous of it. And then as time went on, I realized, look, I am stuck in this vortex of technology too. Like I have a cell phone and I am on podcasts and I am reading blogs and I am on the internet and I am also stuck in it. And I also need this balance for myself. Mm -hmm. And so what I've learned over the past decade is that this is a step that you take as a family. And the step is awareness. It's about knowing that when we play outside, it benefits every single member of your family, from your newborn to your grandmother, to your great grandmother. It helps you. It helps everyone Mm -hmm. with their eyesight, with their mood, with their internal bodily functions. It all is reset by the sun's clock. There is so much going on out there and it is to be celebrated if you can weave some of that into your life. Yeah. And It doesn't have to be a thousand hours. Maybe it's 200, maybe it's 500. But the point is being intentional about it, knowing that it is extremely beneficial for you and your children, and then celebrating it because this is very hard. This is very, very hard. You're the one who has to now put the constraints. You're the one who has to have those boundaries up for your kids. But I will say that it is absolutely worth it. And I tell people that this is a challenge that even if you fail, you win. There's no losing here. Like you don't ever lose. You don't ever lose. If you spend 600 hours outside with your family in a year, you don't lose. There's actually nothing you don't ever lose because all of that is enhancing your life. And I talked recently to a young man named Sean Killingsworth, who is 20 And he has grown up in this sort of tech guinea pig age. Mm. And he had a really sobering conversation with me about how he lost his childhood. Mm. And he had a mom that didn't let him get the Game Boy. You know, he had a mom that was pretty on top of things. But culturally, he said, there's nobody else to play with. And when I go to school, everyone is on their phone. And when you walk into the lunchroom, it's quiet. And when classes end, you know, you, you finish your high school math class and everybody stands up at the end where usually there's chatter and people are talking and they're going into the halls and, you know, seeing their friends for a few minutes. He said it's silent. Everyone just picks up their phones. He calls it a social wasteland. And he was so grieved. Mm. He was so grieved about the childhood that he lost. And so it really matters. It really matters. It, it does so much both for our kids, but as a society at large, when we let our kids play, because that provides the other kids that entice everybody else out. So there are very layered things that are going on. So if you're listening and you're like, look, no way, I can't do four to six hours, but maybe you could do this. Maybe when you pick your kids up from school, you could bring a snack and you could hang out at the playground for an hour before you go home. You could have your dinner done and you could do that. Maybe on the weekend, you could go for a two mile hike or half mile hike or something like that and let your kids lead because when they lead, then they find things that are interesting and it takes a while. Sometimes a two hour hike is like only a mile because you've stopped and you're talking and you see the birds and you want to see more. Maybe you do that on the weekend and you just, and you slot it in. And what happens is I think you find the wonder of it. Mm. That's what happened for me. I was like, this isn't going to work. This is a really awful use of my time. I don't think I should be doing this. It's it's going to be, it's going to crash and burn. Mm. But then I found in just one time that there was a lot of value in it. And the boredom piece is big. 
because we don't really have the energy for whining kids. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. I don't want to hear my kids. I'm bored. But Angela Hanscom in that book I talked about previously, Balanced and Barefoot, she says it can take kids up to 45 minutes to develop their play scheme. How are they going to play, right? They got to figure it out. Yeah. What are we going to do? Who's going to be what? And you kind of have to give that time. So we just have little statements that we say that are not emotionally charged. Like we'll say, it's okay to be bored. And yeah. over and over again, you know, and then they get bored of you saying that. So they go find something to do. I just say, I trust you'll find something to do. You know, boredom's normal. That's fine. You'll figure it out. And you just kind of are like a repeating loop and they just eventually do that. But well, that was that was going to be my question is like, OK, so for when the kids get the one when you come with the you get the whiny kid who's like, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. Like what? Because I yeah, I mean, that I, is what I do. But I do think there is a piece of this that. If it's at all possible, you include your friends because I tell people like, well, they're like, what do we need to go outside? I'm like, you don't need much, right? Like you need maybe proper clothing, but beyond that, you need food because that helps take some good food, take special snacks, whatever you need food. You need a first aid kit because kids fall. You're going to have to put a bandaid on and you need a friend. Mm. That's really what changes the whole thing. Food, it changes it the for three you. F's food, first that's aid, it. friends. Love it. Yeah, That's what I got to offer you. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, but, but it makes a huge difference. It's, it's more safe. Obviously, there's extra eyes, but it gives you someone to have a relationship with and it gives your kids like other kids to bounce ideas off of. And even if it's multi-age, they do not have to be the same age. Dr. Peter Gray wrote Free to Learn, and he is a huge proponent for multi-age play as a means of self-education that mm. kids learn so much when they're with kids of other ages. So it doesn't have to be someone that's in your exact same stage of life at all. It can be anyone that would value a couple hours outside, go together. And it will really change because then you're accountable too, right? Like they're showing up, you're showing up and, um, you know, take your meals outside, take your games outside, take your schoolwork outside. Anytime you go outside, your eyes relax mm. inside. And when you're sleeping, your eyes are always constricted. There's a ring around your eye called the ciliary ring. It's always tensed up. Like if you were to lift, you know, a weight with your bicep, it's always tense, the ciliary ring. When you're inside and you have a short field of vision, the only time it relaxes is when you have distance looking. That's mm -hmm. what Katie Bowman calls it. She's got nutritious movement. Distance looking. And then it relaxes. And so kids are really struggling with short-sightedness. Myopia is on the rise. So if you know that just going out, take your book out there. Take your card games, whatever it is. It does not have to be like we're climbing the mountain. We're hiking to the waterfall. It does not have to be that. It's a little walk around your neighborhood is really a good use of your time. Mm. Oh, my gosh. OK, so the other question that is like hanging in the balance is I know that you live in Michigan. And as we were discussing before uh, we started recording, your you woke up this morning with snow on the ground and when we are we are recording this in, in on november 1st and um you know when this airs it will be the middle of december and so unless you live in florida or uh you know you have an unseasonably warm you know climate or whatever uh some people listening live where it's real hard to go outside <laughs> or, mm -hmm. you know, on the flip side in the summertime, like there are days mid July in North Carolina where I'm like, absolutely not. I <laughs> need, um, I, I really need air conditioning very badly. So 
<laughs> what do you do, especially you Michigander, um, during the winter time? Like if, if somebody's listening, they're like, well, I want to implement this, but I live in Nova Scotia. And so uh, <laughs> this is going to be really hard right now in mid-December. Um, or, you know, just I mean, even me, I can be kind of a pansy in the in the middle of the winter if it's freezing outside or real windy. So like, g- give me some practical tips for what you do when the weather is not cooperating. All right. So there's a really good book that changed my view because I used to wish away winter, even when we were doing all this outside time, I'm wishing away winter. But then I read Linda McGurk's got a book called There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather, which is not true. I mean, I do not think that's true at all, but it's like tongue in cheek. It's a little saying. And in her book, I really learned to appreciate what each season brings that other seasons do not. Mm. So if you go outside in the winter, you cannot wear cotton against your skin because cotton absorbs moisture and everybody sweats when they move. And if you're moving at all, you're going to sweat and that cotton is going to absorb your sweat and then it's going to stay wet. It doesn't ever dry. And so you're going to be freezing. You have to be dry. So against your skin, just that one layer, you need to have something else. It could be something from Costco that costs $10 that's synthetic. It could be, you know, your $80 wool underlayer that goes all the way down that your kids wear every day through the winter. Just something else that's against your skin. So you got to try and be warm. Like we wear the balaclava. You know, where only your face peeks out and your neck is covered and your ears are covered and your head is covered. You got warm gloves, you got warm boots. But the winter is magical. Hmm. It is magical. You go on a hike, you can see all the things that you never saw before. You can sled, you can build snowman, you can make things out of ice. We've never skied, but you can go skiing. I mean, there's so much. <laughs> I'm not skier, that you but can, you could. You could. You could do that. People do that. I've heard that people love to do that. So the, the point is, this is what happened, Molly. I've been wishing away my winters for a long, long time. And then all of a sudden I kind of had this change of heart. And I was like, okay, you know, this is a different way to look at it, right? That the seasons offer different ways to develop. They offer these different opportunities. And then I started posting more about it. Like we did this, we made this, we're going sledding. You know, you got your video going down the hill, whatever. And I started to have people message and say, I wish I lived there. Mm. I was like, come on, because my whole life, when you live in Michigan by February, you're like, I wish I lived somewhere else, right? right? But then people started to message, I'm like, my kids have never gone to play in the snow, where can I come and do that? I saw some guy, they had so much snow, he like dug down a pit in his yard, you would go down in there, it was like snow steps, and he had like this whole like fire pit set up, it was like a whole city down there, you know, and all the neighbors would come. I mean, there's something about a winter fire, this is magical, and so... I have a little chart. It's like 1,000 hours outside for those who have harsh winters and 1,000 hours outside for those who have scorching summers. If you're in those two extremes where it's like, okay, well, maybe the bulk of your time outside is going to be in those other seasons. That's how it is for us. We may not be able to go outside for four hours. But I tell you what, if we can get outside for 45 minutes, it invigorates you. It invigorates. There is something about that. The ice baths are real popular right now. Well, it is. It's really healthy for you. Annabelle Abs has a book called 52 Ways to Walk, and she has this whole chapter about building brown fat, which she's like, it just has a really bad name. Like, why is it called that? But it's like the type of fat that babies have. It's a type of fat that I guess apparently eats the bad fat. I don't know what that is, but it's, but she says the, the brown fat is only activated when it's cold. Mm. And so there are a lot of things going on in your body when you go outside. And then the other part is that when we live with a little bit of extremes when we're not constantly at 70 degrees, right? Then it makes the highs better. 
So there's nothing better than being outside when it's freezing cold for 45 minutes. You know, you spent 45 minutes to get your kids in their apparel. Right. (laughs) And they go outside for 45 minutes. But you come back in and you feel so good. You come back into the crackling fire. You come back into a cup of hot chocolate, whatever that is. It doesn't feel as good if you haven't gone into the cold. And so there's a phenomenal book called The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter, where he talks about like, we just have such this drive for comfort, but it's really not doing anything for our Mm. humanity. That it's these periods of time when you're like a little bit uncomfortable, you're getting bug bites, you know, you're hot, you're sweating, you're cold. And, and then you get relief. Yeah. And it feels better than if you were always at a constant. So there's a lot to it. I think that weather helps our kids develop grit. It helps them develop. I don't think it's meant to be perfect all the time. Right. I think that the reason, part of the reason that it is variable and, and it's out of your control. Stephen Ranella writes about that book and in, in his book, Outdoor Kids in an Inside World, like this is something that you don't control. You go on a camping trip and it might rain. You don't know. And so you have to be ready to adjust. Right. And just by being outside, it provides our kids opportunities for them to do that and for us to do that. I'm going to take a quick break from my chat with Ginny to let you know that my book, If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, How Death, Debt, and Comedy Led to a Life of Faith Farming and Forgetting What I Came Into This Room For is now available for pre-order. It comes out March 26th, 2024, which is right around the quarter. Oh my goodness. It's going to be here before we know it. And I want you to go pre-order it right now. You can go to my website, stillbeingmolly.com, and there are links there. Or you can go to whatever your favorite retailer is, and you can pre-order the book. And that makes sure a couple of things. One, it makes sure that on release day, that it is on your doorstep, ready and waiting for you to read it. And also it helps the publisher kind of, it gives them an idea of how many to print in the first print. Oh, anyway, so many exciting things. I could not be more excited. In fact, as of this recording, my book went to print yesterday. So we're so close. We're right around the corner. There's so many exciting things that I cannot wait to share with you about it. I have never been more excited about something in my career in my life. So please go pre-order the book. If I don't laugh, I'll cry today. It would mean the world to me and you will have the book in your hands when it comes out in March. I cannot thank you enough for your support for this. I'm so excited. All right. Back to my conversation with Ginny. Well, I love that the way you end your book is you talk about, um, you say today's the day when you get to choose how you want your family to be. And I think that that, um, and that is, there's a both and there that is, there's a both like that is a lot of pressure. And like you said earlier, like the onus has been put on parents. Right. And, um, you know, I had great parents who were very involved, but you're a hundred percent right. My parents were like, bye, we'll see you go outside. Like just, you know, but I never thought like, my parents don't love me. It was like, this is what you do is like, you go play right. outside and I play on the foundation slab and I make up <laughs> stupid shows. And then I come inside and I go, will you watch my dance that I choreographed or whatever? You know what I mean? Yes. Um, you know, so the the onus has been put on parents more to, to make these decisions because the, the screens and the technology mm-hmm. and the Netflix and all that stuff is, is more accessible. And so it has to be 
on the parents to say that's just the reality is that it has to be on the parents to say, yeah. no, the TV is off and the iPad is off and the iPad is now in my possession. And that's just the way it is. And there's going to be fighting and there's going to be whining. And there's like that is yeah. a reality. Um, however, like nobody said parenting was easy. <laughs> You know, right. and you know what? I tell you what, Kim John Payne, who wrote the book Simplicity Parenting, he, I think, ends his book, or that is a phenomenal book, Simplicity Parenting. Actually, all his books are phenomenal. But he ends that book and he says something like, Rescue your kid's childhood, and remarkably, inevitably, day by day, they will rescue you back. Mm. And I, that is really what I found is that. It's not one-sided. Right. And what a cool thing about nature and about being outdoors that it really touches all of us. It's not just for the kids. And I'm like, you know, I'm not the type that I like. I don't like kids games. I don't like kids movies. I don't like Candyland. You know, I don't, I don't like Uno, actually. I'm like, I think it's boring. <laughs> but when we go outside, I can get something out of that. And as the kids grow Maybe you have a little bit more time. You can bring a book. You know, if they're not toddlers anymore, you could sit and read a novel. You could have a conversation with a friend. You could sew. I don't, you know, yeah. I don't know. That's like old fashioned. I'm like a grandma over here yeah. with my gray hairs. But, but it just provides this opportunity where there's something for everyone. And I think that there's not much else like that in our world where we're all getting something out of it. So, well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and then my other, you know, as you were talking, like, the other thing I was thinking about, um, and, and man, okay. I'm kind of backpedaling here a little bit. Um, is that the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Uh, is you had said, you know, the importance of, of, you know, inviting friends in, mm -hmm. what do you say? Um, and I realize that I, when I say this, I need whoever is, I'm not intentionally stepping on anyone's toes. Okay. I'm just, mm -hmm. this is just a reality is, like some of my kids' friends who I love and I love their parents. Their parents are amazing. So if you're listening and you're you're like, are you about to talk about me? Their kids are yes. like insanely <laughs> overscheduled. Like they have all of the activities. And yeah. they're a lot of them are outside. Like they're playing soccer or they're, you know, doing cross country or they're doing foot playing football or whatever. Like they're on their sports teams. And like I love those things. Like my kids do activities. Yep. But also like there is a point that I'm like, are we over scheduling our kids with structured activities versus just letting them be kids and play outside? Mm -hmm. And again, I'm I'm saying this like for if this is you listening, like some of my best friends, like their kids are in a million activities. And I tell them all the time, like your kids schedule stresses me out. Like it's like and and even right now, like we've tried it. We only have two kids. So like I understand that, you know, we we wanted five kids, but we got two and they're they're great. Um, But we've kind of tried to structure it right now where it's like our daughter plays soccer in the fall and the spring and then our son does basketball in the winter and the summer. So we alternate mm -hmm. off a little bit so they're they're not yeah. both in something at the same time. Um, right. We understand that that's not always going to be the case. It's not a perfect system, but that's what we've tried to do. But even now, like with my daughter, like in her soccer season, you know, she's got a practice one night a week and then a game one night a week. And then, and that's, even that feels like a lot at times where I'm right. like, oh my gosh, um, this is so much, you know, but then, I mean, I have friends who, whose kids like, you know, they've got four kids in four different sports, you know, four to five nights a week. And so, I guess it's like, are we like in a move to like the really overstructured 
activities and play away from unstructured? Like, are we hurting our kids? Are we helping our kids? What do you do if you if you, all your kids' friends are just in a million activities? <laughs> like, mm. I don't know. And I, I don't even know if there's a clear picture or answer to this or I don't know. Well, that's a cultural piece. And that's kind of what we were talking about earlier, which is yeah. like when there's no kids playing, it really messes with society as a whole. Yeah. Like this actually affects everyone. Yeah. And so if you're the type of parent that can put some boundaries in, if you're the type of parent that keeps the cell phone in the house and doesn't let the kid take it outside when they go play, like you really are actually affecting culture at large. It's a really big deal. But there's a difference between obviously adult directed activity and self-structured activity. And I think this is a little bit about what my book is about until the streetlights come on because it's about a good today. Like this is really what we want. I want to have a good today. I want to like my kids today. I want to like my life today. I want to have a full life today but not at the expense of tomorrow, Mm. right? Like I don't want to be negligent and not prepare my kids for tomorrow. But I think because our world has so rapidly changed and we used to have a world where people had a career for 30 years, you you followed a path that led to this pretty stable situation. But our world is not like that anymore. They say that kids coming out of high school, coming into adulthood, will have four different jobs in their first decade of life. This has rapidly changed. Careers are becoming obsolete quicker. There's no longer this like generational timeline for skills. Like skills come, they go, you got to move on, you got to adapt. How adaptable can you be if your whole childhood has been laid out before you? Mm. And I think that's the piece that we have to think about, which is that that is a really hard situation to spend 12, 13 years of your life where everyone tells you what to do. And then all of a sudden, no one tells you what to do. And this is what's happening. Like the college professors, I talked to this woman named Jean Twangy. She says, all of a sudden, these kids are coming to college. And she says, they cannot even make simple decisions without texting their parents. And so this is so tricky because, because we're sold that we have to do all these activities in order to prepare for tomorrow. Yeah. In order for the college resume, there's two really good books that touch both. Mine does a little bit too. There's a book called Taking Back the Game by Linda Flanagan, where she talks about youth sports culture. And she's like, look, she's like, we are portraying to our kids that adulthood is crummy. Hmm. That all we do is sit on the sidelines and watch their games. Who wants to grow up then? She's like, no, like you have to live a little. You have to have your own friends and your own hobbies. Don't show them that adulthood is just, I sit on the sidelines and I clap when you make a goal at your soccer game. Like, no, she actually says something like, I'm sitting here in the fetid expanse. Like I'm like dripping with sweat, you know, like all I do is that. She's like, no, like there's that part of it. And then the whole college piece is a whole scam and a racket. You know, it's, it's not gotten more competitive. They just are trying to bump themselves up in the rankings and with selectivity. It's a whole thing. Like, you know, so you really can live fully today and give, they have to have, they have to learn how they tick. They have to learn what they like. They have to learn themselves. They have to learn emotional intelligence, which takes a long time to learn. Emotional intelligence is not learned when someone else is telling you what to do all the time. You have to rub someone the wrong way. You have to learn how to fix it, right? You have to be able to compromise and come up with something out of nothing and negotiate and assert yourself, but not too much. All of that happens when the adult is not right in the mix. Mm. And so it's a well-intentioned, I think, misguided approach to childhood. And one that 
it, everyone is doing. Yeah. So you have to be bold and brave and say, okay, this is running my family ragged. My kids are not getting long periods of time to de-stress. Like D Kim John Payne says, three times a day, we should have downtime. It, it helps your body release neurotoxins. Yeah. So I know kids too. It's like they're up at seven for school and then they go to piano and then gymnastics and they come home for dinner and they have homework and they've never released their neurotoxins. It hasn't mm -hmm. happened. So ah, this is a hard time to be a parent. It's so hard. And you know what I will say? And, and this is, uh, I think what you just shared as you were talking, I was just like, this is the conviction that I feel like I needed. And I feel like that there are going to be people listening that like there, it's okay to feel convicted. Like it's okay to feel like, you know what, I've, I maybe haven't done this well. And it's, and I want to say too, like in a lot of ways, it's no fault of your own because I think it's it is, not. it is, it is a byproduct of what society has told us is yeah. this is what we should be doing. And actually, you know, uh, you know, I have a, quite a few friends whose kids are high school seniors right now, which I don't feel like I'm old enough to have friends who have kids as high school seniors, but apparently I am because uh, in my mind, I'm still like 24, but I am not. <laughs> I am not 24. In my mind, I feel older. In my I'm like, am I 65? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do have granny habits. OK, I mean, I like I bake my own bread and like, yeah. you know, I can and and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the reality is, is that like we, you know, I, I do look at my my friends with the the kids with high school seniors and there is this this pressure to get into the good school and to go to the good program and to just you know it's like oh well they're just going to take out a bunch of loans they're just going to be in debt and it's like do they want to go to college like can we actually ask that question like do they want to go to college because we actually there's a gift of the culture and society that we live in right now is like if you don't want to be like a doctor or you have to get some sort of certification, like if that's not what you want to do, like you don't have to go to college. Like trade school is great. Like I have a friend who I went to college with who her, her parents were like, you go to college, but she wanted to be a hairdresser. Like that's all she wanted to do job. was she wanted to be a hairdresser and her parents were like, nope, you're going to go to four year school. Well, guess what she did? She graduated from four year school. She has all the student debt and this, then what she did, she went to beauty school that's or whatever. Time. And now she's a hairdresser and it's like, why did she, yeah, college was fun, but like, was it actually necessary? I have another mm -hmm. friend who her, her son is 10 and at 10 has a successful woodworking business. Like he is a phenomenal woodworker at 10 years old. He builds all kinds of things. And like, that's, and I'm like, he could, he's a great example of like, he should go to a trade school. Like that's, if that's what he's interested in. But I think we've just, we've been sold a lie of like, you have, to, and I'm not, and, and college is great. I went to college, loved it. It was fantastic. Five stars recommend. However, like, let's ask our kids, like, what do you want to do? What are you interested in? Mm -hmm. And not to like, and I think also there's also this, uh, this, uh, I think an attitude towards like, if the kids take like a gap year and it's like, oh, they took a gap year and they traveled to Europe and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's like what you have to do, but like, if you need to take a year off to figure it out, like, I think that that's actually okay. Um, well, right. And it's like, come on, like, can't, let's take a step back. Look at your own life. Right. I was a math teacher 
That's what I was. And here I am with a book that's actually my fifth book. Crazy. It's like my first actual real book, kind of, but like it's actually my fifth book. You know, I'm podcasting. You're podcasting. Yeah. This didn't exist when I graduated. So, you know, we're doing these things and I'm speaking at conferences. It's like, this is not what I was trained to do. And life just has its own path. And I think we're so scared that what, at 22, they're not going to know what they're doing. Well, neither did we. Right. Or at 22, it's going to, it's going to, it weaves. Like that is how life goes. And I think we can't control it. I just talked to this guy. His name's Ken Coleman. He's yeah, like, Ken. Um, yeah. Is, Ken. Love Ken. Ken. Kenny. Okay. So Ken. here's what he said. He was 29 and he went on this interview. He had written the interview for someone else to do. And then that person last minute couldn't come. And so he had to step in and do the interview because he's the only one who had read the book. His boss was like, it has to be you. It wasn't even what he was supposed to be doing. And that's what changed his career path. Yeah. That, an accident, a mistake. Right. Like we don't control those things. Right. But what we can do is we can set our kids up to have resilience, to have grit, to be risky, to know what their bodies can do, to love life yes. you know this is like drudgery and also sometimes not all the time maybe they even love all these activities but they also have to be able to manage themselves yes exactly i mean that's in the bible it says go when people don't listen to the bible and that's fine or don't love the bible but like this is in proverbs so i always feel like proverbs is just like um you know proverbs is a good chapter it's just a book of wisdom right i love it and it says go to the ant you sluggard which is great. So the Bible is interesting. You know, it's kind of funny. Yeah. And it says, consider her ways and be wise. She has no chief or ruler or overseer. And yet she gathers her food in the summer. You know, so it's like we have to raise kids that are self-starters, that don't have to have a chief or a ruler or an overseer because our world has changed. Mm. They say by 20 Kim John Payne says, I think by 2035, which is this is when our kids are becoming adults, like this is their adulthood. He says 75% of jobs will be had by entrepreneurs, 75%, three out of four. Yeah. It's like, well, Kenny, I have a hard time. I spent 13 years of my life where someone said, do this, do this assignment, write this paper, take this homework. This is how we're going to, we're going to fill almost all your time between school and homework and academics and this AP class. And then all of a sudden what you have to figure it out on your own. Yeah. It's hard. It is. It is. It's so hard. It is. And again, it is like, but to, to your point that you even said at the beginning is like the little changes that we can make now, um, you know, and, and to choosing today how we want our family to be. And by making those incremental changes like that can that can make a huge impact. It can make a huge difference. And and you you do you get to make the choice and it is hard. It is not easy. Um, and there are going to be people that are going to look at you and be like, what are you doing? I don't understand yeah. what you're doing. And it might not make sense. Like I said, I have people all the time who ask me, I mean, this is, this is not one of those, like, I'm getting so many DMs and questions about this. Okay. This is not one of those. This is like a legitimate, like, um, it's, it's a legitimate all the time. People ask me, I don't know how you butcher your own chickens that you raised. Mm-hmm. I get that question constantly of like, but how, how do you butcher your own chickens? Like you, you like, you like kill them yourselves. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we do. And like, no, is it fun? Like, no, I don't go like, oh, yay, I get to kill chickens today. Uh, although my 10 year old daughter kind of does. 
<laughs> um, oh, sorry. Uh, it's just being honest. Um, but you know, it's hard work to, uh, every single day to care for these chickens for, you know, our meat chickens, like eight to 10 weeks. Um, every single day mm-hmm. to go out and to feed them and to water them and to, um, or not, they're not like plants, but to, you know, refill their water and to move their tractor and to make sure they're on fresh grass and to, you know, yeah. and then the process of butchering and cleaning and plucking and harvesting, and then, you know, vacuum sealing our, our own chickens. And even like, cooking, even and, cooking, and cooking. You're cooking it on your own. Sure. It takes a long time. And people, people genuinely like, no, is it convenient? Absolutely not. Like it is, you know, could I go to the grocery store and buy chicken myself? Yes, absolutely. I could. However, we wanted to move to a way of life that was a little bit different and to be a little bit more Mm self-sustaining. And I understand that that's not for everybody. And I'm not saying that it's for everybody, but it's for our family. And, and at the end of the day, like our kids, like they, they know now how much effort goes into a chicken nugget. Like it's a lot of work. Um, and also not that long ago, like we are not that far removed from our grandparents' generation, great grandparents' generation, where that's just what you did. Because if you didn't, you didn't eat. Like grocery stores have not been around that long. Like you, yes, there were markets and things like that. Like that was common, but that's where you got your fresh fruits and vegetables from farmers that grew what you didn't grow yourself. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, majority of families raised their own food and they like I have so many friends who are like oh yeah well my I I couldn't do it but my grandma like she told me stories about going out and like wringing a chicken's neck and I just am like right we're not that far I'm not I that's not what we do um but it's it's a move (laughs) from a way clear (laughs) bucking bucking societal trends and it's not I'm not a crazy person I'm just trying to raise my family and to do things a little bit differently. And, and so I I say all of that to say that, you know, that this is hard and it is not going to be easy. And if it was easy, everybody would do it. And so um, it's okay to feel convicted and it's okay to, to, you know, to, when this podcast is over, sit with it for a minute and sit with that conviction and, and sit with the, the, the statement that you said of like, Today is the day that you get to choose how you want your family to be. And, and you don't have yeah. to overhaul. You just need to make slight adjustments. And so, um, gosh, I love this so much. I just want to do like an entire podcast series uh, with you on this. It's so good. But, mm-hmm. but here's a great promo. Uh, so you have a podcast. Um, so uh, real, real quick, before I ask my last question, you know, how can people uh, listen to your podcast? Tell us about it so that people can go and subscribe and all that stuff. You're so sweet. I loved this. I like you. I like you too. I like you. You're so fun. I can see why you're so successful. Oh, God. And oh, gosh. Amazing. No. <laughs> and also, people need to pre order your book. And Ooh, I want to yes. do a plug for your book because oh, at this point, it's available for pre order. And, and it's if I don't laugh, I'll cry, yeah. which there we go. That's, you know, you've got to insert some humor into motherhood. I mean, some right. of this stuff is funny. Yeah. Or it's funny in retrospect, yeah. at least. Oh, you know, gosh, and you, so many you, funny mean, stories. you get one life, you get one chance. So exactly. pre-order your book Thanks. and pre-orders really help authors um, in a lot of ways. So it's like, if you are getting something out of this podcast that Molly is doing, like you should pre-order the book and then it will enhance your life and it helps the author because um, then they know how many to order. Like I've actually, I had a book came out that sold out. 
Oh, wow. On Amazon. It was in Europe. But like in 11 days, it sold out. Then you couldn't get it for months because they have to do a reprint. So it's like, if you want the book, get the book. There's yeah. usually like, you know, little bonuses and all sorts of stuff. So yes. plug for you and you. get Molly's book. You know, I, I'm, ever, I'm not creative. So everything of mine is just 1,000 hours outside. <laughs> so like that's what it. the website is. And we have an app. It's the same name. The podcast has the same name. So it's just the 1,000 hours outside podcast. I um, have learned that I just, I love it. I love to be able to sit with someone and get kind of like their best hour. Mm. Because everyone has something that they're about and something that they're passionate about. And you get that you it's like you know you go right to it all the important things that yeah. make them tick and the things that they have learned and studied sometimes for decades like you know I like you people on the podcast are 80 years old yeah it's like they've been studying something for 55 years you know, what have they learned in 55 I years I love talking with with uh seasoned people love it yeah. can't get enough yeah it's incredible and so uh it really is just it's a it's been a gift for me I think like it's something that I was really nervous about doing, jumping into. Someone asked if I would help them launch their book hmm. on my podcast. I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> since then, I'm like, you know, it has been such a gift. And hmm. uh, it's like one of those things, I think maybe similar to getting outside where like it's a gift for everyone. Like it's a gift for that person because it helps them out and it's a gift for yourself. And, you know, hopefully it's a gift to the people that are listening to that it gives them food for thought. And I like to have different conversation topics that I can talk to people about or just different things to think about. I think when you're a mom and you're with little kids all day, like it like gives you a, a little spark in your mind. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, this is something I can think about. And so um, anyway, that's like so off topic. No, I don't know. I I'm it. just saying how much I like it. <laughs> no, I love it so much. I'm I love saying it how so much, much I like you. I like how much I like you, Jenny. <laughs> um, yeah. If we live near each other, I think we would hang out all the time yeah, and our kids all could the play. Time. Um, okay. Well, as we are finishing up here, is there any just last like words of encouragement that you have for the person who maybe has felt convicted um, in this episode? Because I, and part of that is me. I'm just saying, like, I'm not saying, I, I'm not kidding. I, I'm not blowing smoke right now when I say that this is probably going to be one of my favorite episodes I've ever done. Um, and it, because Aww. I think it's just so, it was such a needed conversation and it had the, the, the perfect mix of like, we laughed, I got a little choked up. Um, it just, you know, and, and I've, it's a conversation I'm going to be thinking about a lot. Um, and so, and I know that that is going to be the case for others as well. And so I would just love for you to just leave your last like little bit of word of encouragement or wisdom um, for the person who maybe is in that position and is feeling, you know, like a little bit convicted and a little bit like I've screwed this up or I mm. haven't done this well. Um, and I, I don't want to overhaul everything, but I do want to make a change. Mm-hmm. I feel convicted too, like reading all sorts of things. And yeah. and I, I actually kind of like the feeling. Mm. Like I got convicted reading Jill Winger's book and she has old fashioned on purpose. And she was talking about like hands-on things and like, you know, like when we use our hands, it helps with depression. And so I'm like, oh, I got a little stitch kit that I keep in my purse now. Mm. And like, I've been convicted by Joel Salatin's books. Oh yeah. Love about, his, love his stuff. I mean, yes. I mean, so much so like, okay, like should we really be using these throwaway plates and you know, can we make some small decisions that really, I don't know, maybe don't make a huge difference, but they make a little bit of a difference. Yeah. So here's what my midwife says. She says, and she's become a good friend of mine. She says, someday our kids are going to come back to us and they're going to ask why. Mm. Why didn't you put more boundaries? 
why didn't you limit my screen time? Mm. Because I only had one childhood. And I think about that a lot because there are long-term effects to the choices that we make. Mm. And this is their life. This is their childhood. And it's important to understand, at least to a small degree, what self-directed childhood play does for kids. And it does an immense amount. The things that I have learned over the years, and my list continues to grow, is so unbelievably substantial about how um, it structures their brain and how when kids jump and land, Mm. it builds their skeletal system. Like Katie Bowman, who is from Nutritious Movement, she says, osteoporosis is a childhood disease that shows up in adulthood Mm. because kids are meant to jump and land and have impact and build their bone structure. And they do all of those things without our direction. They came into the world miraculously designed to self-educate really in so many ways. So many of the things that kids do, they learn for mastery. It comes from within and we shut that off. There's a a wonderful study by NASA where they measured kindergartners and it was something like 98% of them fell into the genius category. They fell into the category that NASA was like just desperately looking for the genius inventors and so creative. And then in time, they lose it. They lose it It, because we're well-intentioned, but we're doing the wrong thing. And so we, we should know. We should know. That play is valuable. Yeah. That what the child finds worthy is a worthy thing. And that by doing something like 1,000 hours outside or paying attention to just that amount of real life hands-on time that you're getting, you should celebrate yourself. Yeah. Like you should give yourself a pat on the back because that is hard work and you have done it and it's worthy to be celebrated in a world where we are entrenched in technology. Yeah. Oh, man, Jenny, this is so good. Everybody go get her book, Until the Streetlights Come On, How a Return to Play Brightens Our Present and Prepares Kids for an Uncertain Future. You are amazing. Thank you for the work that you do. You are definitely going to come back on this podcast because I just adore you. Um, And uh, And you're going to be on mine. Yes, yes, it's going to be awesome. So fun. Um, Thank you for being here. Thank you, Molly. Did I not tell you that Ginny is amazing? My gosh. Oh, I love her so much. She's hilarious. She's funny. She is just, she's witty. She's smart. She really cuts you to the core. Oh man, what a great episode. Please let us know what you liked on social media. You can tag me at still being Molly or at can I laugh pod on Instagram and the Facebook. And you can find Ginny at 1000 hours outside. You can go get her new book when the street until the streetlights come on. And that is available now. Please go support her work. Let us know what you loved about this episode. We would love to hear from you. Want to let you guys know, this is the last episode of 2023. I decided that I'm going to take off of Christmas week, so we will not have a new episode next week, but there are tons of episodes in the archives that you can catch up on if you're behind on your episodes. So if you're on that road trip or wherever to go visit family or friends, you can catch up on old episodes and we will see you back after the first of the year with brand new episodes coming up. I'm so grateful for your listening and for your support and just for how you champion this show week in and week out. Thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And for you, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see you next year. Bye. Bye.